Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. The author of Profit First and Clockwork, friend of Entree Architect, Mike Michalowicz is back on the show. His new book, Fix This Next, is the manual we need right now. Whether you have a successful firm and, and you're preparing for the future, or your firm is struggling and you're looking for a roadmap, this is episode 340, Fix This Next, with author Mike Michalowicz. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. Gusto, easy online payroll benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Mike Michalowicz, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, it is a joy to be back. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I always love having you on the show because it's always a great conversation. And you're a very popular guest. Your name and your books come up in, in, the, uh, in the community all the time, at least once oh, a week. Probably I love first comes up. Your name comes up all the time. And so you're a friend of Entree Architect and Entree Architect Podcast, whether you know it or not. <laughs> uh, and so, But let me introduce you to the people who may not know who you are. Mike Michalowicz is the author of the books Profit First, which you probably have heard of, because if you're a community member, we talk about it all the time. 
Clockwork, Surge, The Pumpkin Plan, and his newest release, Fix This Next. By his 35th birthday, uh, Mike had founded and sold two companies, one to private equity and another to a Fortune 500. So he's no stranger to business and how it works. Today, he's running a third multi-million dollar business called Profit First Professionals. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and the former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. And as I mentioned, Mike's an old friend here at Entree Architect Podcast. He's been on the show twice before. You can go back to episode 147, How to Build a Profitable Architecture Firm, where we dove deep into Profit First. So every time Profit First comes up, I share that link so you can go listen to Mike and talk about, it talks about how Profit Works, Profit First Works, talks about the book. Uh, and then again, he was back to talk about his book, uh, Clockwork, where he talks about systems and sort of the next step after Profit First, what do you need to do? That was episode 241. Um, so Mike, we're going to talk about a, another topic that is so critical to small business, especially uh, small firm architects. This is going to be a very popular episode because this is a critical subject that mm. I think is going to resonate with our community, whether they know it or not. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's going to be a very important one. Uh, before we jump into that conversation, you shared your origin story twice before. So yeah. go back to those episodes if you want to hear Mike's story where he sort of uh, grew into what he is today and, and his passion for what he does today. Go back. I, I actually encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, but Mike, give us a little bit of background on who you are just for some context and then sort of the history of, of why you wrote this book. And then we'll talk about what's in the book. Yeah. So, uh, it takes me about five years to write a book, Mark. So I emailed my list about five years ago, asking them what their biggest challenge is, because once I get a sense for what my community needs, and if I have an interest in that subject too, that's a book I want to write. So I emailed my list, and I'm not the most technically savvy guy. So I guess I, I triple clicked or something, uh, but I sent the same email out multiple times on the same day. And the question simply was, what's the biggest challenge you're facing in the year ahead? And in certain instances, the same people, the same person answered the same question multiple times that day with different <laughs> answers. So some guy, some guy said, like, I remember he emailed me and he said, uh, we have a sales problem. Our, uh, it's, it's our, our sales system that's broken. Then in the afternoon it said, uh, we need to hire new people. It's our hiring process. And in the evening it was vision and communication. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is very clear. The biggest challenge business owners have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. Right. That became the exception of this book, is most entrepreneurs don't know what to do, so the one most important thing for the business, so they do everything. They're constantly putting out fires. How do we move this business forward? How do we identify the true one thing our business needs? Right, the, the biggest problem for us as small business owners is always the problem that's right in front of us right now. Right. That's that's, right. In, you know, if in, in our minds, we think that's oh, totally. the most important thing right now. This is urgent, I need to fix it. But usually you spend your entire life fixing those Doing urgent that. problems. But you know, there's a psychological reason why we do that. All these apparent issues that present themselves, uh, we address them and we get immediate relief. So if, right. if I respond to that, that you know, the email is not unstopping, so I'm just going to start doing email. Um, every time I respond, it's like, okay, I got a little thing done here. So we feel this relief. Mm -hmm. um, an employee comes with a question that they really should be able to answer on their own, but we answer it for them. And even though we're frustrated that they couldn't figure it out, we feel relief. Hey, right. we gave them the answer again. 
So what we're trading is these constant stream of momentary relief for the consequence of long-term agony. That's the problem. Yeah, and that relief isn't just psychological, it's chemical, right? Yeah, when, it's chemical, there's a dopamine. When you yeah. do that, you, you get a little shot of dopamine, it physically feels good that you've solved the problem. I feel that every time I, I help somebody or answer a question, I actually feel that feeling, which makes me want to do more of it, which is sort right. of the fuel for entree architect, truthfully. Uh, but, but so, but that's not necessarily a good thing, right? Because if we are constantly trying to solve the problems right before us, we're sort of struggling on our longer term, bigger picture all the time. Oh, but in, a major, in a massive way, because the business will only perform to the level of the entrepreneur's energy and availability. You know, so yeah, this is referral back to clockwork, but as I was writing that book, um, this problem of putting out, um, or addressing just the immediate and apparent issues and prioritizing them over the important ones is not just a modern phenomenon. It's always been a phenomenon. And uh, there was even a statue dedicated to the necessity to concentrate more, to think more, and to, to be more contemplative. It's the statue of the thinker. So there's a guy that's, that's you know, there's a statue dedicated to the most important function we can do. Entrepreneurs need to spend way less time doing and a lot more time thinking. And the, you know, the question is, well, how do I do that? Right. You just do it. It's, it's, the way out of the weeds is sometimes just to walk out of the weeds. Just block out time to think. And sadly, for many owners now, it's really just a five-minute or ten-minute shower in the morning where the only thinking is being done now. That's where the, the ideas bubble up. Like, oh, we could also do this. Well, can you imagine if we dedicated a, an hour or two a day to that, how much impact that would have on our business? Yeah, and I and and I think many of us don't do that. Well, I know most most of us don't yeah. do this. Is why, which is why we often feel like it's a constant struggle, like every day. Especially for architects, you you become an architect because you love architecture. You love to be creative. You you want to be an architect, and then you yeah. find yourself a business person, right? You find yourself an entrepreneur, and you didn't realize you you were doing that when you launched your business. And then it's this constant struggle, um, and it's this constant fire you know, that you're putting out every day and it's just, it becomes mundane and frustrating. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the greatest day uh, of, of entrepreneurship is the day before you start your business. <laughs> exactly. The, <laughs> the vision's so grand, you know, yeah. and then the worst day is the next morning when you realize, oh my gosh, I have to make this work now. Yeah. Um, that's the reality. So with fix this next, what it, that, that came from those emails yeah. and, and it, you sort of feel like, when you're when you find yourself doing that, where you find yourself constantly struggling, you find yourself in this survival mode where you're just constantly trying to just keep your head above water. Um, is that sort of where we start with this? That this is where you're sort of in a in a moment of uh, entrepreneurial, uh, you know, overwhelm, uh, overwhelm and mud. Yeah. That it's just this thing that's bearing down on us, and I'm just trying to keep this thing going so I can. And now. In this time that we're living in now, with this crisis and the, eco the economy, you know this this thing that right now it seems like the economy is okay, but you know that it's going to start slowing down. You know that there's this this tsunami coming in terms of an economic slowdown. It's it's yeah. constant. This is a very timely book. So so where do we go? How do we prepare for this? Yeah. Um, so. What I did in the book is I opened up with this concept called the survival trap, and I think it's a good illustration of why we don't move forward. And so you can do it in your head, or if you have a piece of paper, it's even more effective. But if you do it in your head, 
there's three steps is you draw the letter A in the center of a piece of paper, paper and put a circle around it. And what A represents is where our business is right now. And, and for many businesses, particularly now, it's crisis or challenge. But you know, what, what's your business facing in this moment? Then as the second step, we draw arrows, and I suggest three, maybe four arrows in any direction you choose away from A. Um, they can all be in the same direction, they can be in different directions, but you draw arrows away from A. And what those arrows illustrate is actions or decisions we can make to escape crisis, to get out of the problem. Very similar to what we're talking about, it, that dopamine response. If I simply respond to this email, I'll feel better. That's, that's an example. So there's these different choices you can make. Then as a third and final step, I tell people draw the letter B in the bottom right corner of that piece of paper and put a circle around it. What B represents is what your business needs from you next. But if we look at those arrows, chances are none of the arrows or very few of the arrows pointed to B. And so, the, you know, we, we drew these arrows out, but they didn't go to B. And the question is why? And it's very obvious. We didn't know where B was going to be. We don't know where B was. So how can we draw arrows toward it? And that illustrates the problem. We don't evaluate what the business actually needs. B, we simply evaluate what's going on in the business now. And we constantly escape it. Well, what happens with those arrows out, whatever pathway you choose, you simply end up in the new point A. The right. next crisis or struggle, so you draw arrows out and you end up in A. And that's why businesses, this illustrates that kind of circuitous pattern we go through. So what I teach and fix this next is a way to simply identify B, the thing your business needs from you, and then we can make decisions consistent with it. But there's one other element of the survival trap, which is actually the most dangerous, is when I do this, I sometimes do live events and I'll ask people, you know, I'm doing over virtual uh, formats now, but I'll ask people how many arrows drew toward B. And some people, you know, braggadociously say, well, I got <laughs> two arrows for B or one. And they feel so accomplished. And I said, actually, that's the most dangerous situation because you didn't know where B was, but you happened to draw an arrow toward B. Happenstance, happenstance happens. This is how the scenario is, how it plays out in our business. You know, we feel every day like business is, is not working. We're putting out fires and we're trying to fix things. And every day is putting out fires. But then one day, all of a sudden, things do start clicking, start marching forward. It's like, oh, my gosh, today's the day I always envisioned. I knew my business would get here one day. We're crushing it. I got this figured out. And then the next day you return to the office and it's a shitstorm again. It all falls apart. Why do we have those magical days rarely? But why do they happen? That's when we drew an arrow toward B without knowing where B is. Right. We took an action that the business actually needed and started clicking. But because we didn't know where the business really needed to be, we just happened to do it. We end up in a new A. Then we try to escape A, and we start this pattern again of being in a circuitous, stucky or sticky situation. Yeah, and I can imagine right now, listeners are, you know. Nodding their head. Yep. Yeah. I've been there. I've, I'm there now. Right. And, yeah. and you've, we've all had those days where it's struggle, it's struggle, it's struggle. And then you have this great day, right? The sun yeah. is shining and the client called and you got this pay, you got this bill paid and you have money in the bank and everything's right. feeling good. And you get this giant hit of dopamine and it's just a wonderful day. And then the next day comes in and it's just like all those others. And, <laughs> and you just happen to stumble upon that great day. Yeah. But you never, it's, it's you never so really planned for it. It's so frustrating when that when that great day happens, but you can't capture it. It, it seems so fleeting. Yeah. And the interesting thing I found is it's not fleeting. It can be developed. Um, but the transition to it is not like 
it's not like you're, one day the business will click and then the next day will click and it's going to be perfect. You know, it's a transition period. There's going to be still bumps and bruises. But if we know where that B is, what the business needs, and we move toward it, and once we solve that B, then we identify C, move toward C, then our business will start having those great days with some consistency. So how do we know what B is and how do we know where it's going to be? Yeah, perfect question. So uh, we use what's called the business hierarchy of needs. This is something I translated from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and there's one great distinction. So just a quick history lesson in Maslow, he's studying human behavior. He identifies for all of humanity, we have physiological needs. Like Mark, you and I, we need to breathe air, drink water, eat food. You know, that's our, our core survival is based upon that. Once that's adequately satisfied, we then move to higher level needs like uh, safety needs, protection from harm. And he goes all the way up to this thing called self-actualization, living life's purpose. And uh, what Maslow argued, if any time a base level need is being compromised, not satisfied, we'll revert to that base level need. So a, a more base level need is safety. If you and I were at a conference or something together, Mark, and we're like, hey, let's take a shortcut back to the hotel from this event, and we cut down a dark alley, and we get the sense like, uh, this doesn't feel right. You know, We better turn around and walk out, because it isn't right. That is our gut instinct. And in Maslow's hierarchy, it works very effectively, because we are neurologically wired into ourselves. But, you know, sight, smell, hearing, those, those senses trigger off an instinctual gut feel, and we should act upon it. Well, I translated Maslow's hierarchy to the business hierarchy of needs, Foundationally, every business needs sales. That's the same as breathing air. You have no, no inbound cash, you're done. So we need sales and it continues to go up and I'll explain them. But the, the great difference between Maslow's hierarchy and the business hierarchy is we are not neurologically wired into our business, yet we think we are. And we trust our gut, we're like, oh, I, I can feel those Facebook ads are gonna work for us. Or, you know, no, 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 it's hiring that rainmaker. You know, oh, no, this is, this is what it is. So we try to trust our gut, but we're not neurologically wired into our business. So we need actually empirical data. We need information that supports our assumptions or doesn't. And so the, the five level of needs are as follows. And, and they are a hierarchy, just like Maslow. Foundationally, you need sales. That's the first level. Sales is the creation of cash for an organization. No sales, no organization. But sales simply needs to be adequate to support the next level, which is profit. Profit is the creation of stability for an organization. You know, just like if, if sales was equal to oxygen, you can only breathe so much. There's a certain point, if you try to breathe in more, you're not gonna get healthier. In fact, there's a certain point where it'll start getting dizzy and it can compromise you, you over-oxygenate. Well, you can you can actually have too many sales. There's some people that say, oh, sales cures everything. That is total line of bull. It does not. Sales creates oxygen for a business, but we need to be able to capture that oxygen. That's what profit does. That's the absorption of oxygen. And uh, you see, particularly in this economy right now, businesses that weren't focused or concerned with profit. As I think it was Warren Buffett said, as the tide goes out, uh, you see who's been swimming naked. You know, <laughs> as the recession does what it does, you see businesses that didn't concern themselves with profitability and are done. Once profit is adequately satisfied, the next level need is called order. Order is the creation of efficiency, organizational efficiency. It's that point where there's no dependency on the owner themselves. The owner is relevant as that they serve a function, but there's no dependency on the owner. Once that's where, order that's where is satisfied, the, the systems come in. Where uh, exactly systems, yeah. exactly systems are, are a major component of this. Um, there's a thing called role alignment, where the people, um, the resources of your organization are are maximized in what functions they serve. They call it role alignment. The next level above that is called impact. Impact is the creation of transformation. This is where businesses are not in the business of transactions, 
They're in the business of having those transactions shift people's lives, transformative. The highest level is legacy. Legacy is where uh, is the creation of permanence, and this is where business owners have a realization. Uh, I have not achieved a legacy status, but as I was interviewing people, it was very interesting. These business owners said, when I achieved legacy in my business, when I was focusing on that, I had a realization. I was never a business owner. I thought I was. I've always been a business steward, meaning my responsibility was to bring life to this entity, but it's now about the continuance of this organization, the entity itself, and my involvement is secondary to that. It's not important. It's that this must continue. And what I want to share about this business hierarchy of needs is all these elements will play out in a business to some degree at some point. Just like in Maslow's hierarchy, you and I are breathing right now. We don't have to think about it. It happens. It's automatic. So all these elements in a business are present at all times. The question is, what do we need to fix next? What needs the improvement next? And it can only ever be one thing. And only one thing can be the most important thing. So we have to identify it. And you identify it by starting at the base saying, do we have adequate sales to support profit? If not, we have a sales issue. If so, do we have adequate profit to support uh, order? If not, we have a profit issue. And we keep moving through this. This also, it's not like a ladder. It's not like you climb to the top, Mark, and you wave to your friends and say, I made it to the top. You'll ping pong around. Yeah, I was thinking uh, the, the that. Might, yeah, the, the mighty Amazon, uh, you know, with the COVID crisis, went right back to sales. They were focusing on impact and legacy. They moved right back to focus on sales, and they said, oh, my gosh, we got to reprioritize how we sell totally. We're going to concentrate on priority items, essential items, and we're going to stop selling or reducing the, uh, the, the, the shipments of certain things like, sadly, books, because I was affected by that. <laughs> but they reorganized. So all businesses move around this chart, this business hierarchy of needs, to uh, like a ping pong as opposed to a ladder. Yeah, as you were mentioning that, I was thinking about our community of architects. Many of us sort of live within the sales world, trying to get the next job. Sadly, many of us aren't focused on profit at all, although that's starting to shift because we focus on it here at Entree Architect a lot. Um, and order is something that many of us realize we need to do, and so we're putting those systems in place, and we are hoping that's going to solve some of the problems of profit and, and sales. So we sort of bounce back and forth between order yep. and sales. Hopefully, there'll be some profit that comes along with that, right? And that's Because that's the way we're thinking. Very mm -hmm. rarely do we get to the point of transformation, although that's where we really want to be. When we became architects, yeah. that's what we, were, we wanted to live in transformation. Yes. That's why we became yes. architects. And some of us, you know, if we're really good and we've, we've built all the other things that maybe there is a legacy, right? Maybe there is something that lasts beyond us and we want to get to the point where our business is living beyond us. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size your architecture firm, Arcat.com. Arcat is the online solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and much, much more from leading manufacturers from all over the world. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place, fast and easy. And best of all, it's free. RCAT doesn't charge you anything for these resources. You don't even need to register or give them your email. And when I say it's free, there's no catch. Visit RCAT.com and try it out. Search for the resources that you need and RCAT will deliver. That's RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. 
Bill.com. Build better. Taking care of your employees has never been more important than now. For years, Gusto's been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, and it does look nice. It also works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks as you grow. As a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, you will get three months free after your first payroll when you go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. And make sure that you let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Gusto, the people platform. Visit entrearchitect.com slash gusto today. Are you tired of spreadsheets? Of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Spreadsheets. Our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium-sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suites of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try Monograph today for free. Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. I find myself with Entree Architect, you know, bouncing around too. You know, legacy is very important to me. I want, I built Entree Architect from the beginning to be something that's, that grows beyond me. Um, but I still have to sort of bounce back and forth among all these other things. And clearly I'm not anywhere near legacy yet. And it, it can't be achieved without you doing the other elements for any of us. Um, I call it the get and give stage. My mother used to say to me, Mike, you have to give to get. And uh, I'm going to call bullshit on that. It's actually the reverse, <laughs> mom. Uh, we <laughs> get to give. And what I mean by this is we need to get sales into our organization. We need to get profit and get order throughout our organization in, in order to mm-hmm. give an uh, impact and to give legacy. So I see some businesses actually, particularly in this crisis now saying, you know what, we're just going to skip those base levels. Screw them. Let's just serve our community. Cause if we just take care for people, things will sort themselves everything out. Everything else will come right. Everything yeah. else will fall into place. And it doesn't, I, I, there's businesses here that are, are caring for the community. They're giving away their services and they now shutter their doors. And I think that's actually the ultimate sin. They were wonderful for the community for two or three weeks and they can never serve the community again because they didn't put the oxygen mask on themselves. Uh, we have an obligation to sell. We have an obligation to be profitable. It's the only way you can be sustainable. We have an obligation to bring about efficiency because it's the only way we can be of greater service when the routine stuff can be done and you can move on to your talent, which is where the transformation happens. And uh, I look at one example I use in the book in Fix This Next, I, uh, I talk about Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson has a transformational product. Now, the funny thing is I don't I've never driven a motorcycle, but uh, presumably you can buy a motorcycle anywhere. There's many providers of it, but there's special meaning 
when you buy a Harley Davidson, you become part of a community. You're, you're a weekend warrior. You got a hog now. You may throw the tattoo on your shoulder. But that means something. And that's transformative because you belong to something. And so transformation can present itself in many ways. But inevitably, there's a shift in people's lives. From that moment forward, there's an identity change or they say, well, my life will never be the same. Um, I was meant, this was meant for me. My life has been saved. Some of those emotions will come about. And uh, the funny thing is, I would argue you, myself, uh, we collectively are much closer to those elements than we think. But the reason we often don't achieve legacy or have transformation consistently is because we're trying to leap to it as opposed to addressing the fundamental elements of sales, profits, and order first. We've never built the foundation. That's right. Right. We're, we're putting the fifth floor in thin air, and we keep, we keep wondering why it collapses to the ground. Right. We need that basement structure right. first. I have a mantra that I've been saying for years at Entree Architect is profit, then art. Because architects yeah. so often are focused on the art. are so and they, That's all they want to do is they want to create beautiful architecture. And then they think that if they create beautiful architecture and they become this icon of architecture, then the profit will come. But right. my argument, and clearly your argument, is profit first, and then yes. the art comes because then the profit will allow you to, to create the order that you need in order to establish a firm that will allow you to be that artist that you always wanted to be. That's right. Yeah, people, and I get it because I, I thought it was the same thing. Like to do something magnificent and the world will you know, build it and they will come kind of th type of thing. The thing is building and they will come uh, it requires effort and resources to actually do that. And so we deplete the only few resources we had trying to get there. So we often can't achieve the outcome we want. So these are these are partially completed projects, either physically or at least emotionally. Um, the second thing is if you build it, they won't come. I found I, I've built a lot of books that people didn't come to. It's 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 doing it again and again in a new flavor. And then one of them is the one that gets noticed. So. Profit First was not my first book. It was my second or third. I think it was my fourth book uh, that really hit. Um, but I would have never gotten there unless I sustained myself. The other thing is, and I think this is actually the most important part, the reason we have an obligation to sell and be profitable is because actually that's what clients want. Now, a client will never say, hey, can you charge me more? Uh, you know, can you uh, can you rip me off a little bit? I really appreciate that. <laughs> but but what, what customers do say is, I want this to be an important critical project for you serving me. I don't want you distracted or diluted worrying about other people. I want your full attention. Well, the only way to give something our full attention is if it provides sustainability. If we're doing something and it doesn't provide for us, we have to look elsewhere and we can't do the best in, for that client. So clients want us to be profitable. They want us to sell to them. Um, and that's why we have an obligation to do it. Yeah, and they respect you more, right? <laughs> if they oh know gosh, that you're yeah. not making any money and that you're struggling as a business, you know, they're they're not going to really respect you as an architect. Yeah, yeah. People become as uh, vested in the outcome as they have invested in the product or service. So if you give something away, it's insignificant. It's cheap. Like if I put a diamond in front of you and put it on the table and said, "Hey, Mark." Um, be careful with that. It's, it's, it costs me $5. You're like, uh, cubic zirconia. Thanks. Okay. Whatever, Mike, if I put that down and say, Hey Mark, be careful with that. Um, that, that costs $5,000. Uh, now you're like, Oh, this is the real McCoy. You may hold little, uh, tweezers to pick it up and put it in a safe. The, the way we respond to the, something that looks, feels, and is, is, could be identical. Price becomes a judgment very quickly of its value. So if you don't charge effectively, if you don't charge appropriately, you're not going to be judged appropriately or effective. You're going to be considered, you know, just a cheap zirconia, cubic zirconia. 
Yeah, yep. that is a sound bite that I am going to share throughout the community because that is something that architects need to hear. Yeah. Um, the the so once we have this 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 hierarchy, yeah, uh, this business business hierarchy of which, needs of yeah. needs, and so it's sales, profit, order, impact, legacy. That's the yep. hierarchy. Um, so now once we understand that and we know that we need to sort of start with the sales, which leads to the profit, which leads to order, That's impact, right. legacy. Then what? Because now we still we we can now we know that there's this hierarchy. How do we identify the B in the corner of the page by using this hierarchy? Yeah. So within the hierarchy, uh, I have uh, actually 25 core needs. What I found is if you peel back the skin of a business, it's all identical, similar to humanity. Like if you and I were standing next to each other right now, Mark, people could look at us and say, "Oh, they're different." And you know, we judge on skin color, height gender, all these different elements, the outside factors. But if we peel back the skin, we're basically identical. We are identical. The biology is identical. I don't, I don't go to the doctor if I'm having you know, a heart attack and the doctor doesn't say, uh, before you get started, where do you keep your heart? Is it in your foot, Mike? <laughs> you know, it's, it's always in the same spot. We know where to go. Well, the, the biology of business I found to be identical. So you could have a pizza shop or an architectural firm or uh, an accounting shop or you could be a manufacturer. Essentially, we are the same if you peel back the skin. So there's 25 elements that make up the DNA of business. And so within each hierarchy, there's five elements. Once you pinpoint this, uh, and you just go through a series of questions, just yes, no questions, and pinpoint where you are. So maybe let's say you actually have a, a uh, profit problem, you're over leveraged, you have too much debt. Then we say, how are we going to resolve this? And so there's a framework to do it that I, I call OMEN that I write about and fix this next. OMEN is an acronym that stands for once you identify what the B, one of these 25 elements, how to go about resolving it. And there's two components of OMEN that I think most people understand and even do. And there's two components that people miss out on completely. And that's why these they fail when they set goals. So here's what OMEN stands for. O is set the objective. So if I identify um, I have too much debt, the objective may be to eradicate debt, right? So that's a simple objective. Then M stands for measurements. How do I know I'm achieving my objective? Well, if, if our debt goes to zero and on a uh, weekly basis, uh, I can see it decreasing by 5% or whatever until we get to zero at the end of the year, I know I'm on the pathway. And there may be some other measurements too. It's the other two elements that people mess up on. So E stands for evaluation frequency. The idea here is how often are we going to check in on our progress? Sadly, most small businesses, and particularly people with creative styles like architects, are in the set it and forget it mode. Like, yep. okay, we got to get rid of the debt. Good. Next thing. And they forget. They forget. So they set the goal, and then they never address it. And at the end of the year, or next time it comes to their mind, they're like, oh, my gosh, that didn't work out. And they say the system failed. But no, we didn't have some check-in, some periodic evaluation. So we have to check in regularly. And we just check in a time on a frequency that's appropriate. So maybe when it comes to debt eradication, maybe once a month because you're paying your bills once a month, maybe that's the time to check in. You know, checking in every second would be absurd and checking in once every 10 years is absurd. So you gotta find that sweet spot. The, but understand it's all based upon the circumstances of your business. Amazon does check their debt leveraging every second because there's so much cash flow going on there, they have to check more regularly. So just as a comparison. Yep. The, the last element is N, it stands for nurture. Nurture is simply giving ourselves the flexibility and perhaps even assembling a team of people to observe what metrics we've set, what measurements we've set, the objective and checking in frequently and say, is this still right? Hmm. Most businesses say, you know what, 
I, we got to have a million dollars in sales or whatever the number is. They don't achieve it. And they're like, damn it, we failed. Um, or they surpass and said, we were successful. But it's either true. We don't know. Because the data we observed when we set that million dollars may be different data than we observe today. So we constantly got to look and say, you know what? We set a million dollar goal. But due to, uh, you know, there was an earthquake uh, in, in the, our local facility or uh, vicinity and people need to build new houses and new structures. We should expect not a million dollars in sales, but three million dollars in sales because there's more need for us. So um, nurture is checking in and allowing ourselves, actually expecting of ourselves to tweak or modify the goals, the measurements, the objectives, the measurements and the nurturing or uh, evaluation frequency. And, may, and maybe even determine whether it's even necessary anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's not necessary right. anymore. Because or, one of those things may be a goal that's really important. You've you've established the objective. You measured it. You've you've evaluated it, and then over time, it's no longer as important as it was. Like there there would be certain objectives as a startup that are no longer really relevant as a more established architecture firm. That's one hundred percent correct. And you and if you're just doing it because it's you've established it when you were a startup. And you're still doing it 10 years later and you're just wasting your time. There's no, it's not necessary anymore. Yeah. That's the trap of, well, that's the way we've always done it. Right. Yeah. That's the biggest trap that exists. We just do it because of it's a historical significance, not because of its relevance. Yeah. Which is why that, that evaluation and that nurture step is so important. So we yes. can, so we can really focus on the next thing, the thing that's most important because you'll make room for the things that you really do need. Yeah. And, and this is something we have to calendar. I, I found the ultimate task management system has been in front of us for eons. It's a calendar. You know, I did the task list, the Pomodoro method. I got bells, strings. None of that stuff works as much <laughs> as a calendar. If yep, it's in I the agree. calendar and scheduled, it needs to be done. And now the time is allocated to do it. So this nurturing and the evaluation frequency, we got a calendar. If we're going to check in every week. There's going to be a block of time. It's not like, oh, we'll check in every week and it's not allocated. We allocate the time to check in and then we question ourselves. That's what the nurturing process is. What's working? What's not working? Amplify what's working. Remove what's not working. If it's not time blocked on your calendar, those fires will fill in those gaps and you won't do the things that you need to do. That's correct. It's 100% So, so you correct. can go through this whole process and if you don't find the time and put it on your calendar to do the things you need to do, the process is a waste of time. Don't even start. One little hack I've, I found for myself is uh, I usually used to look about a week or two down the calendar and say, gosh, I'm so booked up. I don't have time for this. But I do have time. I can make time for it. And what I mean by that is if I look out five years from now, it's usually a pretty bank, blank calendar. Right. Is this so significant that five years from now it may have to happen? If it's yes, okay, I can start calendaring five years out. And I start rewinding. I usually find, at least from my schedule, usually about a month and a half out, things start opening up and I can book it. So book, if you can't address it now, I appreciate that. You still have to book it, even if it has to wait a month and a half. But if you don't book it now, you're always gonna be looking two weeks out and you'll never find the space. Yeah, and those and those time slots, you need to make them sacred. They need to be just yep. as important as your best client's appointment. Yeah. Because that's, yeah. that's how you're building your business. If Because very often, we'll we'll put those those blocks in our calendar and yeah, I'm going to do that every week. And sometimes you do it. And sometimes you have you have a client that wants to meet at that time. And so you just say, oh, I'll just skip that. That's just my meeting. And then yeah. you don't do it. Exactly. And so so one way to do this is accountability to someone else. It doesn't need to be an employee or a colleague. It can be another firm uh, of any business and say, listen, every Friday from two to four, we sit down and we, we're going to discuss how we're press, pre, uh, progressing on our goals and so forth. And, and now when you commit to someone else, it happens. 
I just for myself, I, I was actually braggadocious for a period about workaholism. I thought that was the best thing to have until I realized that it's the worst thing to have. It's a workaholic means a non-productive-aholic. Uh, it, it means I can just work harder as opposed to work smarter. So what I did was uh, I go to a chiropractic doctor regularly, not because I have any problems, because I don't want problems. And uh, so I'd schedule my chiropractic appointment at 5 o'clock. So I had to leave here at the office at 4.30. And now because I had a commitment to someone else, I had to wrap up by 4.30. And it was unbelievable how productive I became because now I had this compression of time and a commitment to someone else. Yeah, yeah. So it's so important. Um, you know, Mike, I love having you on the show. I love your I love books. I being on your show. <laughs> because you're so practical. Right, you make it so easy to understand, and it's so important. You take the most important things in business, and you you make them so easy to understand, and give us the steps to do it. And so, I, you know, you listening, it, the the fix this next is the name of the book. You should definitely go buy the book, but you should go check out all the other books that Mike has written because they're all like that. They're all practical steps to solve a specific problem in business. And he's talking to us, small business, us. And so I highly recommend those, those, all the books. Uh, and this has been a fantastic episode uh, of the podcast, Mike, because this is another podcast that I'll be able to share. When somebody asks a question in the community, I could say, just go listen to this. <laughs> just go do it. I don't even need to explain it. Just go listen to this because this is your I problem. Love hearing that. And so it's, it's great to have you here. Before we wrap things up, Mike, I want to ask you the question. I've asked you twice before yeah. this question. I want to ask you again um, because any, anytime people come on, it's, it's always another answer. What is the one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I, I think starting a not to do list because uh, the, the, the whole situation here is we need to find the one thing you can do is find the one thing. The question is how I find that one thing. And we overwhelm ourselves. There was a, I remember my sister telling me the story. I don't know if she experienced this or this is just kind of mythology, but she was in college and the professor puts the, the jug on the table and he has sand. He has rocks and stones. Have you heard that story? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And he pours, he just poured sand into the jug and he said, those are all the small problems. And he goes, if you focus on the small problems first, you'll have nothing left. And he did the reverse. We put the big rocks in small rocks and he's able to fill up the entire thing. You know, we got to find out what that big rock is. And, uh, it starts off by saying, I'm not going to take on sand. So we all have a to-do list. Uh, I challenge everyone listening in to start a not to-do list. Here's things I won't do anymore. And when they come up and present themselves, how loyal are you to yourself? Don't do it. Assign it to someone else. Get rid of it. And some of these things, just let them vapor, yeah, you know, let them yeah. fade into the vapor. Yeah, the we ether. just recently had an episode where we talked about delegation. And the first step in delegation is to eliminate, right? Is yes. Eliminate anything that isn't really important. And then you automate as much as you can that's left. Then you delegate everything else, and then that's what's left of the thing that you should be doing as an architect and as a business owner. I love that. That's exactly, I, I concur 100%. Uh, his name is Mike Michalowicz. Don't even worry about how to spell it. It's going to be in the show <laughs> notes. Uh, fixed, fixthisnext.com is the website where you can learn all about the book. Uh, you can buy the book there. Um, I am definitely going to buy this book. I, I you know, to be honest, I haven't read the book yet. It is definitely yep. going to be read, especially after this conversation. This is something that we need here at Entree Architect as well. Um, Mike's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. He's active on all of those. You can tweet him and he'll respond. Uh, and a great podcast, Entrepreneurship Elevated. If you're looking for a podcast that features Mike, because you know Mike, he, you, you heard him here. He is a great, a great character, a great speaker. Um, it's very entertaining and you learn in every episode. 
Entrepreneurship Elevated is a podcast that you should subscribe to. Mike, as always, this has been a great conversation. I look forward to the next one. Um, and I appreciate you for being here at Entree Architect Podcast. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Mark. You've been listening to Mike Michalowicz. This is episode 340. You know the drill. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 340. Share that link with one friend and they will thank you. Maybe it's somebody who's struggling and doesn't really know why they're struggling, trying to figure it out. This is the episode that will help. Maybe it's maybe it's somebody who doesn't know about Mike, Maybe it, which is probably unlikely, but who knows? Maybe there's somebody out there who may not know who Mike Michalowicz is. Introduce them to Mike Michalowicz and his books, and they will forever thank you. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 340. Registration is open. Registration for the Build Your Brand Workshop is now open. Jeff Eccles and I are going all in this year. As Mike mentioned in this episode, if you don't have sales, you don't have the foundation you need to build your success. And sales comes from building an effective marketing system and a powerful differentiating brand. Your architecture firm's success starts with the story you tell. Register now for the Build Your Brand Workshop. Visit entrearchitect.com slash build your brand. That's entrearchitect.com slash build your brand for all the details. Go there now. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, be happy, safe and secure. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening and have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging.
and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. <laughs>